certainly it feels like the way we've I was raised in sales as a sales professional is like that's your baseline, right? Like life gets fun in sales when you're doing 110% plus. Like doing 100% is doing your job in the same way anybody else would do a job. Yours is just measured in a very clear, concise way that's non-debatable. Like you hit it or you didn't. And so, yeah, I have to admit, I still take that approach of like life gets fun over 100%, but 100% is still doing your job. Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. Welcome to another edition of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast. Today, we get to learn from Corey Beal, Executive Vice President of Sales and Services at AdmitHub. After a nine-plus-year career watching HubSpot grow and develop from being a seller to managing sales teams across small business, mid-market, corporate, and enterprise – to running sales operations, and even helping drive our renewal management organization. Corey brings a wealth of experience across sales, services, and ultimately helping companies and organizations grow more effectively and accelerate revenue. So today we get to listen and learn from Corey. Welcome to the show. Cool. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Excited to chat. I am excited to learn from you as I think you've just got this really interesting breadth of experience. As I remember listening to Brian Halligan talk probably four or five years ago about where would he go if he were looking to map out his career. And he said sales ops is where he'd actually look at because that's such an integral role and part of any organization trying to scale, especially as they think about growing. And so I'd love to just start and hear a little bit more about your journey through sales and and what even got you into sales at first, Corey? Sure. I would probably agree with Halligan's statement about going into sales ops. You certainly learn a lot in a very short period of time. And it's amazing how complex an org is. Absolutely the size that HubSpot was when I was there. We had 500 plus global uh, sales reps, but also probably nearly that many in services and folks surrounding. So Sales ops can wow. be a great place to learn. For me, sales started really young. Uh, I grew up in a small business, watched my parents do it and sell every single day. We owned uh, a small gourmet food store and an antique shop and a bakery. So I grew up around just this nature of being around your customers and putting the customer first, providing a really good experience of that from a sales perspective, but also a services perspective. So just sort of naturally linked up and combined a psychology degree and decided I didn't want to sit in a chair and analyze people's problems all day. Uh, and not get paid a little bit for it. And so I kind of made her out, became a salesperson. And I really think the right phrase is actually a sales professional, to be honest. I love that. I think that's something that I found probably about six or seven years ago as a way to to think about sales differently. And I'm curious, did you think of being a sales professional as a, an exciting career for you early on? Or was it just kind of after you said, oh, psychology is not really where I want to be? Or you said, okay, let, let's look into how I can actually sell. It's funny. I don't know that I ever thought about it maybe in my early 20s as a career when I started. And I wish I did. And I think the one thing I'd change if I could go back is I'd go find growing company early on with like a great BDR and SDR program uh, and learn the ropes through like a very structured approach. I think I just sort of got a little bit lucky and probably played uh, a lot of like Monday morning quarterback on myself and the way in which I approach deals and approach life as a salesperson. But I'd probably go back and do it for more structure. I, I started working at a big publishing company and I ran like sales presentations, but I also did the billing and we had a bunch of outside reps and I was like the inside person they didn't really care about, but made me do all their work. But I loved it and I learned a lot and they would find it great and they would take me on the road with them. And so I did face-to-face sales right outside of school, which was really tremendous. And so by the time I got into my second job, 
doing the same thing all over again there and being an inside rep. And then eventually managing that team, it gave me a whole bunch of experience before coming into HubSpot and then started HubSpot as an AE on the small business team. And I think that's really where the idea of like sales professionalism and structure and the way in which you handle things from a sales process perspective really got ingrained. And that's where I started to learn. That's, that's really interesting. And so as you started to think about you know, growing in sales, so you've had a, a whole host of different roles, as we mentioned, moving into sales ops, renewal management team. How did you chart that path? Or was it also just kind of getting lucky as I know most of us have been through this? I think everything's pretty much getting lucky. There's definitely hard work mixed in there that probably creates a lot of that luck. I think that saying is accurate, but there was probably a point maybe by 20... I joined HubSpot in 2010, maybe 2013, where I started to really think about how that got mapped out and be strategic about how I approached it for the remainder of my career there. That was probably when I started thinking about when I joined what was the VAR program, which is now the partner program, being one of the early folks there and thinking about how could I get exposure into just a bunch of different types of sales. Well, I did a little bit direct on the small business side. Could I do some indirect? Could I learn how that kind of program is scaled up? We sold small deals. Could I learn how to sell bigger enterprise deals? Could you get insight into what happens post-sale and what happens with an upsell, cross-sell? And so one of the things I always coached a bunch of reps on over time, if maybe they were getting a little bit bored in the role, was just, look, we have an amazing opportunity in a company where we are. Go try a different department. Try something that tests a different set of skills from what you're doing today. And maybe it's a department that's crushing right now. And so it's an obvious place to go. Maybe it isn't. But the thing is, how can you well-round yourself to be basically qualified for any sales job that you may want in the future? And so eventually for me, getting North American experience, international experience, indirect, direct, etc. worked out really, really well. And, and there's elements of it now that I use every single day in my job. And I'm really glad I did it. Wow. I think there is so much to be learned there. As you think about Taking that leap and change, I find, is really hard for people. And moving out of especially a sales role where you're doing well, as you have into these other areas, how did you justify that to yourself? Or how did you think through getting over that fear of leaving something that was comfortable or that you know that was working well? I don't know that I ever got over it. I think it's always scary every time you make a change. If there's not a little bit of fear, it means you're probably not thinking it through enough is sort of the way I always looked at it. It's, it probably was a little different by decision. I, you know, I tried to keep things outside of work as simple as they could that didn't impact those decisions and I could take a little bit of that risk along the way. It's just, it's hard. It's scary. You're always going to have it. I just think when it come, boils down to it, there's probably two types of salespeople or sales professionals. Keep using that phrase. There's the one that wants to crush it and keep things exactly the way they are for as long as they are and we'll just ride that train as long as it will have them and as long as it feels the same. But the minute it gets tough, they'll jump ship and go find something else that looks easy again. And then there's the other type of sales professional who has confidence, I think, in their abilities to figure it out and has that true figure it out and entrepreneurial spirit factors to them. And they'll go seek out the tough stuff. And they'll seek out the risk versus the reward. I don't know. For me at HubSpot, I tried to find stuff no one else really wanted to go do at that time or solve or fix. And just said, screw it. Maybe I'll be the one to fix it and solve it. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. It wasn't always great. It's nature of the beast. And I think that's probably that aligns with how how you've been lucky so many times of saying, hey, I'm willing to take a challenge on and try something new that may or may not work. But that's okay because you've got to take those challenges if you want to grow, if you want to build. I, I think that's a fantastic mindset to bring to the table is whether you've been in sales for 10 years or whether you, you know, 
been in the seat for a year is how, how do you find those challenges? And I think that's a really, really cool mindset to bring. So you've seen and worked with a lot of different reps and a lot of different you know types of sales of small companies, indirect, direct. What are some of the characteristics that you see stand out as you think about the top performers that you've worked with or managed over time? There's three for me. I still hire the same way that I think about. First is, does that person have a history of achievement? And that usually means like, will they grind it out and will they figure it out somewhere along the way, maybe personally, professionally? What are ways in which they are constantly just overachieving in their life and finding a way to success? The other is intellectual curiosity. I think that mm. one may be underplayed a little bit in sales. But in my mind, especially in a customer-first and focused sales process, you got to care and you got to think about the why behind the why. And then the third is just critical thinking. Everyone thinks a sales deal follows this process in a very structured and regimented way. Maybe it's connect call to discovery, to demo, to close. Like That's largely just absolutely false. Every deal moves around in a weird squiggly line and sometimes forwards, back, up, down, left, right, and an angle, uh, and then eventually finds its way. So I think that's one of the most exciting things about sales for me is how do you put together the piece of the puzzle? come up against that challenge in every deal and find a way to make it successful. And sometimes you might win it right then and other times you won't. But I think usually if you put a good experience forward for the person, it'll come back. Because sales is... You get out what you put in. Like It's one of those professions I think that's still left with your amount of work and how efficient you can work is what dictates your output. Really interesting. You, you mentioned intellectual curiosity and maybe being a little underplayed. Can you just tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that? I think you, know, you can call it whatever you want, happy years or your interpretation of what someone said. But one of the things I loved, especially working at HubSpot, was every single call was different. The type of business was different. Where maybe in their marketing or their sales funnel, they were experiencing challenges was different. And so what would happen over time is you might get into a little bit of a repetitive rut because it's like, oh yeah, they have a top of the funnel problem. Let me go demo it this way. But you need to stay true to that intellectual curiosity and figure out, well, all right, well, what might really be driving that? In a business like HubSpot, as one of the things I used to coach reps, like, all right, well, today, how would you think about that at HubSpot? If we were having a problem with this component in our marketing organization, who would be driving that? Who would be involved? How might that play out? What might have caused it? What might we do to solve it? And you can coach through some of those elements and see if maybe they can apply the same thing to the other business. Hmm. And so now that you and your team are working with universities, I think specifically, how are you coaching or working with your reps when they're having almost identical conversations with similar types of prospects, maybe different sizes and you know where they're at? But how are you working to have your team help build that intellectual curiosity and more similar conversations today? Yeah, they're probably a little more similar just because it's within the same vertical. But obviously, you've got two-year, four-year, private, nonprofit, for-profit. We work in multiple departments, so they're going to have different needs mm -hmm. between maybe your marketing and missions or student success folks. But either way, when you still spin everything back, every single business is experiencing some kink in the flywheel that's driven by something else. And it's your job to figure out what that is and get underneath it. Uh, and that could be driven by top, middle, or bottom of the funnel demand problem. It could be driven geez, by just about anything across the organization. And so for us, we spend a lot of time thinking about that. And then a lot of the frameworks that I was a part of early on building with uh, Andrew Quinn and Roberge and others along the way still play and still play really well once you're outside of, uh, outside of the orange gates. <laughs> it, it is fascinating seeing some of those principles that you can apply really anywhere into a sales process. I, I think intellectual curiosity and to your point of sales is this game where you 
get out what you're going to put in. And it's pretty easy to measure that. But how do you make those tweaks so each call is a little bit more effective, so you are more effective as you show up? And I think that's where a bunch of those kind of three keys that you mentioned are are really critical to making the most impact on the hours uh, that you do put in, which is really interesting. I'm curious, what do you do for yourself to show up at your best. You know, you've led large teams, now working in a, a smaller startup environment, you know, looking at, you know, in- investing in different companies and things of the sort. How do you show up at your best day in, day out? I think your comment actually about it being a game is the right one to build off of. Sales is a wonderful game, but that's really what it is. And it's a deep psychological game the further you go. And I think the more that you learn. And so that means psychologically, you've also got to be on point. I'm a big fan of routines. Everyone who's ever worked with me or alongside me knows I'm pretty structured when it comes to that stuff. I'm up pretty much the same time early every morning. I'll work out right when I get up. I'm really big into just mental and physical wellness and well-being. I think you can appreciate that being in an outdoor space, living in Colorado. Uh, I live up in New Hampshire and I like to be two minutes from where I can play. And when I have an opportunity to go play, I'll go take it. But I'm regimented in my approach and my routines every day down to workouts and hot and cold water therapies and a whole bunch of crazy stuff. I'm down just about to try anything. I I love it. And I'd say I fall in a similar boat. So I'm always looking for new ideas. So can you just talk a little bit more about some of the the things that you're trying? I'm a big fan of like cold showers. And I've had a couple other guests mention that. Sounds like that may be part of it. Or maybe you just go take a a dip in the water nearby you there. What what else are you playing with? or, Or what are you trying to test out? For sure. I'll definitely do the cold water ocean dips or a cold shower in the mornings. Playing a lot with breathing and breath work lately as well. And just doing a bunch of reading and studying on that. You know, it's funny, I I was reading a book the other day on breath and equating it back to, it's just like sales. It's like, ah, human beings have figured this out thousands of years ago. We already know what this is. But every single cycle of a life, everyone just wants to find their own way to do it and do it differently and call it something else. It's amazing how really sales fits that same pattern, right? There's always some new trend or new approach. There's a new acronym. God knows there's enough of those. Uh, (laughs) But the reality of it is the way in which you approach it as a sales professional hasn't really... It's always evolving, but it doesn't change much because the human psyche doesn't change nearly as fast as the marketplace does and nearly as fast as the world does. And so I think that if you learn a lot about human nature and psychology and how to elicit responses and what you might want to do to just drive something forward in a sales process, it'll still work. You might change your tonality and your language than maybe you were 40 years ago. But the way in which you approach it will largely work. You approach it with some care and some thought and clearly something that someone will interpret that you took the time to put the energy into. So it's it's really interesting you mentioned that because I was going to go back to the psychology degree that you mentioned and was going to wonder how much of that plays into how you've sold, how you've managed and how you coach folks. And I think you just hit on it. But anything else you'd add from that psych background that you think plays out in how you show up or how you lead today? It's bizarrely adaptable. I probably didn't appreciate that until several years into my sales career, that really a lot of the things I learned and the ways in which humans interact and speak and listen play a big part. So I think actually that was something that helped along the way, which was great to have and probably should go back and study up on a lot of it because I think the more you read about those things and the more you're curious about just how humans work mentally and physically, you'll be able to play into that in a sales call. Helps you read people, especially now in a heavily remote culture, whether on video or not you can pick up on the tiniest things that could change the total sense and structure of a call. Yeah, that, that is so true, especially as I know 
few of my friends graduated with psych degrees and everyone said, what are you going to do with that? You can't do anything. <laughs> and now you come back to it and realize that as you know more now, as you've gone through sales, management, leadership, all of a sudden you start pulling these nuggets out of, oh, I probably didn't give that enough attention or I didn't realize that just as much as I thought a business degree was going to say, well, every business needs to make money. Light bulbs going off for me right now that, well, everybody has psychology. Everybody's got mental things that they're playing with. And so understanding how humans interact, whether it's buying and selling, whether it's coaching and motivating, I think there are pieces that are probably very applicable that are going to stand true through through time. Totally, right? If you If you look at the two things we just brought up, one is the people side of it and one is the business side of it. And you could approach it from either angle, right? I came from it from what might elicit a response from this person? How should I talk to them? How should I play into this conversation? What should be the way I phrase it? What should be the way maybe I demo or discuss a product? And your side is actually the intellectual curiosity side, which is, why does this business work? How does it make money? How do they lose money? How do they scale? What would prevent them from scaling? How could I play my points into that piece of conversation? You know, those two things, the structure doesn't change. Like maybe we didn't have product-led growth more than five years ago or 10 years ago, but the general structure of businesses is make money, lose money grow or don't grow and finding out the why behind it and the certain paths people will take to do it. That's that curiosity piece. So I think those two things remain constant. That's really, really fascinating for me. And this is where I get to learn so much as we go through this stuff. So even though you've done quite well through, through most of your time in sales and you know had teams that have done quite well also, I know there, there have been tough times or maybe tough times for your reps. And so what do you either do for yourself or your team to try and bounce back from a tough month, quarter, year, whatever that is. What are some of those things that you do to, to get yourself back to being your best? I mean, look, it's a slump. Everyone has them. Everyone has a miss. You're never going to hit everything that comes your way. I'm just generally a fan of a little bit of reflection on maybe what was fundamentally different during that time period and what are the things that maybe we missed and that we can improve upon going forward. So I'm more of like a reflection, write it out, and just stick it on a piece of paper and put it in front of you kind of guy. The reality is most of the time, and one of the things I love to HubSpot and just about sales in general is the clock always resets. You always have the opportunity to replay that game. And so you should be able to figure out what part of the game you didn't play well and what you did. Because even in that failure, you probably made some sort of an advancement on a skill or something that you were working on. And so just take a little time to reflect and look and just step back up to the plate. It's okay. So the worst that's going to happen is you're going to have that same outcome. Big deal. You survived it once. And are you a goals guy? Do you like setting goals or not really? Yes, absolutely. What's your process? It's not scientific. I mean, really, it's not. <laughs> uh, I guess it also depends on the kind of goal, right? Some of them are not really my choice. It's our plan of record and the board dictates it. We put it out there the best we could and then they tell us to make it higher. So I can only do so much there. Just find a path. For me, it's, it's let's really think of what is the numerical goal and then what are the actions and the plays that we need to take in order to give ourselves the best shot at hitting that. And how do you back that project plan in maybe from an annual to a quarterly and to a monthly? And then assign, make sure you have the right assignments between your executive team and all the way down to the front lines. So, And then make sure you take the feedback. That's the other thing. Mm. You know, it, it's hard. There's a delicate balance, I think, in sales, particularly at you know, the manager and up level of you know, feedback uh, and what you can take and how you can apply it versus being able to also just dictate the path that we have to take and the reasons why. But one of the things I've always loved is, you know, HubSpot in general had a great atmosphere of sales-driven feedback and making the changes when we needed it. And working in sales ops, I got to see things through from the very 
you know, beginning of their life all the way through to what would happen at annual kickoff. And those two things usually were pretty different from infancy all the way on. And getting that feedback line is really important. So look, the goals sometimes are pre-dedicated or dictated, but that's okay too. I'm just, it doesn't have to be complicated. Sit, think, reflect, and then write them out. Are you ready to commit and take your performance and fulfillment to the next level? Check out my core OS, where we work with sales leaders and teams to take their performance to the next level by creating championship operating systems and cultures with live Zoom workshops, one-on-one trainings, mindfulness for sales, and more. Check us out at mycoreos.com. You just brought up a question for me that I'd be curious about. As a, a manager going from managing sellers to sales operations teams, what did you have to do differently? Or maybe what didn't you expect as you went to manage probably a pretty different approach or perspective from the the folks in those different roles? Yeah, I mean, totally different persona of human being. Both amazing, uh, but very different in their own right. Your persona of your typical sales ops analyst or, uh, or junior analyst is significantly different from a BDR and an AE and the way in which they're driven, right? You've got uh, jobs of a rep is to push as many boundaries as fast as possible and as far as possible. And the analyst's job is to how to keep everybody within a certain set of range and make sure it's accurate every single time. So those two things are naturally at odds, which is great. So for me, it, it just gave the complete 180 in many ways. But what was funny was some of the best analysts that I had had amazing sales skills. Really what that came down to was amazing people skills. And they could relate to the reps. The reps were willing to open up and trust them and be able to give them the real real when they wouldn't give it to the manager or the director of the org. That was like the secret was, how do I have this person who maybe doesn't have that exact personality to go out and be a little bit more forthcoming? to step out into the field and be alongside the reps because the reality is like we're all in those trenches together. It's just maybe like we're sitting in them every single day, but the reality is we're all striving for the exact same thing. And so it just gave another lens of feedback, which was awesome. I love that that unity of, hey, we're, we're all here working to do the same thing. Although we have different roles to play on the team, that's what we need to actually get to where we want to go and having them play that role is critical, especially as you think about scale. So it's, it's interesting as I do think they are much different personas uh, of the people sitting in each of those roles. So I was super curious. I'd also be a little bit curious as you've had a chance to manage a, a bunch of different teams, stages, different companies. What are some of the things that you wish you would have known going into being a manager that you didn't know? So much. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. There's this like, I feel like no matter what role you're in, as you move maybe up, up in an org, around an org, it's like, what does that person do all day? Like, how hard could that really be? And you never really get insight into those tricky, time consuming pieces when you're on the front line adjacent or below. You know, it's all about the number, but it's really all about the people. And I, I feel like I wish I knew every single day, you just have to have this expectation that something will be awry. And if something's not awry and you're not expected to solve a problem every day, when sometimes it's minor and sometimes, who knows, someone could be out with a really serious medical illness or who knows what. I think maybe back to your earlier point, I wish I knew how much my psych degree would probably come in handy because really you're, you're managing people and you're not, you're not managing anything else. You're trying to just keep everyone in the same direction in as much a unified way as possible. And humans are complicated and they're messy and every one of them is really different and I think I wish I knew how much probably that psych degree would have helped and maybe I would have done even more with it. But um, mm. And just know that you're going to get stuff at you from every direction and the impossible things that you thought could never happen will 100% happen. 
<laughs> Got to be adaptable. Got to stay light on your feet, huh? It's hard. Everyone says your first year as a frontline manager is this, probably the hardest job you'll ever encounter. Uh, and I think that's probably right. There's a hmm. lot of balance there. Yeah, I can see how there are so many new things that just add in uh, on top of people, which change, show up differently every day. And I think you said it best. We're, we're weird and we're messy. You know, it's it's that and that is what makes us great. I, I think that is a beautiful perspective on it. A couple more questions for you as we start to wrap up a little bit. I like to go a little rapid fire here and just start with what does success mean to you? My gut reaction when you asked that question was hitting the number. And man, that is so salesy. <laughs> but like, God, that's just so ingrained uh, that that's the number one thing. And so there's an element of that where I guess maybe you learn early on, maybe you don't, maybe I'm a little old school in that reproach, but like your job is hit the number. And so you got to find a way to hit that number. And that's still the most important thing. Whether that's what success looks like, probably different depending on the situation, but you can still be successful and occasionally make a little bit of a whiff as long as you're learning along the way to your comment earlier about like what happens when you're in a slump or you have a miss. But sales is still sales and it's numerically based. So for me, it's hitting the number. I think that makes sense because I would imagine that, do you connect that to you hit the number and that opens up the rest of your life for other things? Or how do you think about that? Certainly, it feels like the way we've I was raised in sales as a sales professional is like, that's your baseline, right? Like life gets fun in sales when you're doing 110% plus. Like doing 100% is doing your job in the same way anybody else would do a job. Yours is just measured in a very clear, concise way that's non-debatable. Like you hit it or you didn't. And so, yeah, I, I have to admit, I still take that approach of like life gets fun over 100%, but 100% is still doing your job. Oh, uh, you just brought up such a juicy point that blew my mind a couple more than a couple of years ago now when uh, Kevin Carner came in and sat down. I was having a dinner with our CRO at the time and a couple other team members on sales. And KK comes in and he's like, I don't understand why sales reps are happy at 100%. That's doing your job. That's the baseline of where you should be. And for me, I'd come from two startups that it was a shock if you ever got to 100% of your number. And so now as you've kind of seen that from the company you're leading now to HubSpot where, yeah, that type of attainment was really common to, I'm not sure, in your prior roles. Is that still the standard you set for your sellers today? It is. What gets to your point when you're in startups is it's a little bit more of a guess. You're guessing at quota, you're guessing at velocity, you're guessing at how to set up the comp plan in a way that probably works you know, for more than a couple months at a time. There's a bit more fluidity to the whole thing. I mean, look, you still look for salespeople where the goal is to hit 100% and they're focused on that 100%. But again, as much as sales is an input-output, it's also a belief game mm. and a belief that the number is achievable and that it's doable and that it's doable in a way that probably doesn't just absolutely destroy you mentally or physically every single month or quarter. And so there's an interesting balance to play there between what's reality and what might be a hope as a startup. But yeah, I mean, in HubSpot, it was so consistent and so laid out. Uh, you should be able to find your path to it. So, And what are you... I know I've seen slides in our board deck and I think it's David Scott who, who likes to have a metric around how many reps are hitting 75% of their target and above. Probably something you played with on the sales ops side of the house. And so how are you thinking about that now at a startup? How are you thinking about how much do you want your reps to achieve or how you balance those targets? Way trickier 
not nearly as scientific. It's obviously a static keep a close eye on. I mean, we're at six reps today. We'll go to six reps in a BDR. We'll go to 11 reps and three or four BDRs here in the next couple months. But that's much harder to do when you've got a smaller sales org, probably sub 20 people. I think that gets tough to manage, but it's still something you look at. Again, it kind of goes to the belief piece. I don't know that the quotas... I, I mean, I've lowered quota twice since I joined in MidHub. Just thinking about the way in which the market changes, our ASP might shift, products that we're selling, the speed at which products are rolling out, number of heads and see, it's, it's all a bit of these different levers that you can play with as a sales exec. But it's a little bit of a you know, finger in the air, check in the direction of the wind thing sometimes and what feels right. And I think for us, you know, we're at an early stage still. You're just trying to figure out a way for people to get as close to their OTE as possible and make them feel good about it. And if not, change it as fast as you can and make sure they just have a great overall company experience. It's hard. It's way harder. Uh, but I will say I'm, I'm wildly thankful for the time I spent in sales ops and I got experience into so many different models and approaches to this thing that at least I have sort of a, a menu of items to choose from that I can say, oh, I remember that. Here's why that works. Here's why that didn't work at HubSpot. Why might that work or not work here? That probably bailed me out of a bunch of jams. So That's great. I, I think that's really powerful uh, is the belief piece. If you don't believe you can do it, Good luck. I think it's what Henry Ford, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And I, I think that's so true in sales. It is what it is. It's belief, it's momentum, and you've got to find a way to keep that momentum going. Even if sometimes maybe the operational change feels wildly illogical, you've got to be able to do it. And sometimes you'll you'll take the hit. You'll know as the company, maybe you're under the rep roll-up for the quotas and you'll give the reps the upside there and try and think that they'll overperform if you give them that belief and that extra will. So a lot to be learned there for sure. Hmm. Next question, and I'm going to set the stage for a question I'm going to ask after this, but this was one of my favorite interview questions I've ever been asked, and it's, do you love winning or hate losing more? I'm a love winning kind of guy. I despise losing a lot, but uh, I just, I love to win. And I think that actually stems from, you know, there's also this whole thing with sort of like, what kind of person are you? Do you want to be the best out there, be the best self? And there's a bunch of really good you know, podcasts and mastery podcasts and stuff on that. And athletes tend to take two different approaches there. And it's really interesting that you can still be a world-class athlete and be either way. I hate to say it. I want to be the best. The being the best self actually comes secondary, even though underlyingly, I know that's what really drives the other one. Oh, that's, the, psychological, the psychological dynamics are great there. <laughs> that's, that's where I love that question. And, and so... Behind that, what's your favorite interview question that you ask folks? So it's funny. I take a slightly different approach when I interview. I actually give people the questions ahead of time. I give them like a little interview packet. And so they know the three categories I mentioned earlier, what we're getting tested on. They know the questions. They don't know maybe the secondary and the tertiary questions I'll add on top of it, but they at least know what the main ones are. I like learning about some of the best teams that they were on. I like figuring out the dynamic and where they fit, how they slotted in, what the role was that they played, how did they figure out that role. Because as much as sales is an individual sport, you have your teammates around you for a reason. And the team wins, everybody wins. And even if it's a month where maybe you had a month where you did 50% of your number, but you know what? Without that 50%, your team wouldn't have made their number. It counts and it matters. And so I think it's just finding out how do you understand that dynamic and how do you fit. And also just because whether it's a startup or a bigger company, as much as everyone loves a good lone wolf salesperson, man, it can get cancerous really quick. And so I want to figure out how people fit themselves into a team and the roles that they like to play. Wow. That is super cool, both on the front of giving folks 
advance notice of what you're going to ask them, what you're going to be looking for. And then secondarily, really, how did you play in a team and your favorite team? That is really, really fascinating as you think about that entire dynamic, as you then connect it, especially now to a startup where you're growing a team, you're looking for folks that you can have for a long time. Wow, that's really, really fascinating for me. Last two questions. What are the qualities that you have seen in the leaders that you look up to and respect and admire the most? It's funny, right? They're all pretty much the same. There's a lens there of empathy that I think is really important. And that is actually really hard as a leader to develop if you're not naturally empathetic. And in a lot of ways, I think sales is starting to become more empathetic. But it's funny, like a lot of salespeople just aren't by their nature. It's not their general scope of life because you can become too attached to things, maybe in the process or the prospect, and that will cloud your judgment. It's the mix of empathy, but also the push and the push to try and solve and aim for the impossible. I mean, personally, I always responded really well from people just playing a little bit of a cheerleader alongside of me and just telling me to go figure it out, being the support structure when I needed it. But if I screwed up, they also told me I screwed up. And so I think that empathy and willingness to help people just become the best selves through accountability and through um, just through pushing folks, find the best. It's hard. It's great. Everyone's a little bit different. That's just, for me, that's what always worked. And I think that's such a a good piece there. It's everybody's a little different. Being able to understand those people, who they are, what's important to them, how do you help them be their best is such a great point uh, as we get back to the best self concept, which is interesting. Last question, uh, where can folks find you? Where where are good places to follow you? Uh, Check out what you're doing, obviously, at MitHub, which we'll link to in the show notes. Anywhere else that's a a good place to follow follow along with you? LinkedIn's cool. Twitter's cool. Either one of those, you'll find me on there if you give Corey Beal a search. It's not too many of us. You know, feel free to reach out and, uh, and chat. I love to chat about anything startups and software and sales, but also anything that has to do usually with the outdoors. If I'm uh, not with my headset on, I'm usually trying to be out in the ocean, grabbing a wave or catching a fish, something like that. So, I love it. Well, Corey Beal, thank you so much. There is so much wonderful insight here for our listeners. I, I can't wait for folks whether they're new to sales, whether they're thinking about making a jump to sales ops, trying to jump into management, looking at just different ways that they can sell different products. So they really round out their experience. So many really good nuggets in here for folks. And until next time, let's go crush it. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. It's thanks to help from listeners like you. This podcast can continue to grow and help others. If you found anything helpful in today's episode, please take a second, share with a friend and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks.